Welcome to episode 42 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. 42, Daz, can you believe it? We're up to... Uh, we started last year, uh, as we touched on last week, in the middle of the trade deadline, and obviously we've we've reached that point of the season again for season 2017-2018. Uh, I want to start, though, we'll talk about, obviously, the trades a little bit later, but not long, uh, the very next day after our pod from last week, we saw a pretty bad injury, Daz, uh, and you're no stranger to ACL injuries, I know. So what was your sort of first thought when you saw uh, Christos Porzingis go down for the New York Knicks? Um, every emotion, almost like a Knicks fan, right? It was there playing the box, and it was a, it started off as a really good, it's a really good battle. And you know, Zinger's doing Zinger things, and it's in the Madison Square Garden where Giannis has had, you know, a couple of his greatest dunks ever, and the you know sort of coming up party, the famous last second fadeaway seventeen footer with Gus Johnson's call. Um, so it was a great game, and Zinger right was uh, battling and. Had a big throwdown, as I'm sure that all you've seen the videos, a big throwdown actually over Giannis. Giannis was a it was, it was a you know, posterization basically, an awesome play by Zinger, and he just didn't have right. He didn't come down straight, came on at a bit of an angle, and when I saw the knee buckle inwards, I knew instantly, as someone who's lived it, I knew instantly that was an ACL. There was it, nothing else happens when your knee goes that way. So yeah, I, I think I, I was texting you must the happened. I'm like, oh. Yeah, well, I thought the not having done the injury and probably not having seen it the way you have, I sort of thought it might have been a sprain or something. And then I thought, oh no, hopefully he'll. It's one of those ones where he'll go back to the dressing room, get some treatment, and be back. Uh, but sadly, not the case. No, it was the knee buckled inwards, and that's that's the sign that lateral stability. If you sort of hyperextended or kind of do a. If your knee stays in a straight alignment, you can sort of get away with a PCL something or a, even a medial. But, yeah, the ACL was gone, and that's obviously then multiple things there. Right? That was Jabari's second game back. So Jabari seems to have this impact on people, right? He came back, and, <laughs> and um, uh, I'm sorry, Chris Middleton came back last year after missing 50 games with a shredded hammy and bam, um, you know, Jabari goes down, and now Jabari's back two games, and on the same court, Zinger goes down. So it's horrible, right? Um, though I guess it is absolutely no consolation to anyone. But then, you know, after out of halftime, you know, what it seemed, this, I think it happened late in the second quarter with Zinger. The Bucks just went on a big run, and part of that run was Giannis literally jumping over Tim Hardaway Jr. So for a moment, we were sort of numbed to it, but. It, it pulled all the energy as it would out of the stadium, and it, it should have. And it was—I think everyone kind of knew it was awful. So nothing. It's awful. I mean, that franchise, right? Just as we talked about a lot, just as they start to kind of right the ship and let you know, it's, it's Hornacek's got the sort of Damocles, right? He's not the—you know—he was a Phil Jackson guy, so he's kind of always been on eggshells, and now he's got—he's all, all the problems with Noah, and I will talk about Hernan Gomez. It's just. Awful, just awful for the franchise, for the team, for the culture. Where do they awful. go from here, awful, though? Awful. I mean, that's obviously he's out for the rest of this year. He's out for most of the next year. So the next two years are now right off. You might have been sniffing the playoffs. I doubt they would have got up into the playoffs, but at least they're in the conversation this year. 
Then they're out of the playoffs this year. They're out of the playoffs next year, barring some Look, miracle. Where do they go from here? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> where do they go from here? Trust a process for a while? Um, so I guess maybe it, where do they go from here is where did they go in the, in the days after it was? Mm-hmm. They, um, they traded Willie and Gomez to show it an odd, odd landing spot, but they got two second-rounders for him. So, um, you know... Not a great haul, not a bad haul. Um, people were holding on to these first-rounders really, really tight this year. So I thought, you know, I guess you got what they got. So they've dumped Willie, which I then take a step back and going, that sounds like a classic, almost taking a, a playbook out of the Phoenix playbook where you have a young player who has showing flashes and ascending young talent and come back the next season and you put him on the bench because the coach, Jeff Hornacek, as I was just saying, right, he's starting to fear for his job. He's trying to prove himself to, um, um, is it Perry, the GM? So they're at the yep. new GM and get some wins on the board. He's got the $71 million man in Hardaway and, you know, Flotsam and Jetsam, Jarrett Jack playing and, you know, Kyle O'Quinn grabbing a whole bunch of minutes. And what happens? Two things is you, one, completely alienate, not that he deserves minutes, right, but you've completely alienated your highest paid player and Joaquin Noah, and then and then sabotage the value of your young ascending asset in Willie Ern Gomez. And so what they basically are doing, you're paying uh, Joaquin Noah to sit at home and um, turned what was an ascending young player like uh, Willie Ern Gomez into a couple of second rounders. And so it's a, yet another chapter in completely mismanaged assets and a sideways and backwards depth for the franchise. I'm not saying Aaron Gomez is going to be the next Gobert, but you'd love to see him get 20 minutes a night, right? A fond maker-like run, right? Um, just give him 15 to 20 minutes a night and see what he can do. But now Kylo Quinn, too many good offensive rebounding games early in the season, and he just gobbled up those minutes. So, so where yeah, to we- from there is they've dumped Willie and still made no progress. Well, this is where the problem is when you're in a constant state of flux as a franchise. And and this is where you've got to give Philly some credit where they came in a few years ago and just said to Brett Brown, don't worry about wins and losses. You're our guy. You're not going to be at risk of being sacked. Because they could have made moves to win more games and take minutes away from, say, Robert Covington a couple of years ago. Uh, and hurt hurt his development potentially, uh, rather than or you know you go out and you showcase yeah. some of the young guys that they've showcased over the last couple of years, and obviously they showcased Carter Williams, a classic example. They didn't just sit him on the bench; yeah. they showcased him, got him Rookie of the Year, went and got a haul for him. Okay, now there's a number of reasons why his career's fallen off the track since then, but they've they've done it the right way, and all the time Brett Brown's had certainty to know. I can I can do this, I, I can play these young guys, and I'm not going to be looking for a job next week. Whereas Hornacek's not in that in that situation, and Sacramento's another one who we'll get to later. They're in the same boat. They're always trying to make that move. Oh, we just need we, we're one player away from the playoffs type of thing, and that's why you end up doing moves for guys like Derek Rose, Joakim Noah, you know the Tim Hardaway contract. And Hardaway hasn't played terribly this year, but he's not worth the money that they're paying him either. So. That's how you sort of end up with that sort of a team. Rather than playing the, the guys like yeah. Willie Hurling Gomez, let them take their lumps, 
get another high draft pick and then see if you can get another star to pair with uh, Porzingis, who's already sort of flashed potential of being a star in his own right. So that's where they're a little bit stuck now as a franchise. And you think, well, they're going to have a decent draft pick this year. They're certainly not going to get themselves... Because of the fast start, they're not going to get themselves really into that tankathon uh, discussion about getting the really high draft pick. So it's going to be a reasonable player, not a great player. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And another move they made was to bring in Emmanuel Moutier from the Nuggets. So to sort of jump ahead and, and talk about one of the trades, they're now taking a look at a, a young point guard. Uh, Jarrett Jack started the game today, but only played eight minutes. I'm not sure if he got injured or that was just part of the plan. And Moutier and um, Nilakuna actually played a number of minutes together. So I guess they're now starting to have a look at the future, but it's a pretty bleak future because of the way they've hamstrung themselves uh, with the way they've built this roster because they've tried to build a roster that can get from you know, 30 wins to 45 wins rather than saying, let's just let it sit at 30 wins and maybe even go down to 25 for a couple of seasons and, and see what we can do. I mean, is that is that the sort of route you think they should have taken, looking back? <sighs> it's easier said than done, right, when you're in New York, especially, and you've just, right, you've just traded Carmelo Anthony and right, guys like Enos Cantor demand... Because he's productive. Enos Cantor is a as a productive NBA player, right? His point, his scoring, his rebounding, he trucks the Bucks. I'm sure he does to others. So it's you got a Cantor. You've paid seventy one million dollars to Tim Hardaway. So if what you're saying is should they have kept Carmelo Anthony, should they have kept you know, not signed a Tim Hardaway and just kept their powder dry and not tried to win, you know, it's so hard to say because you're you can't just sell off every piece and turn yourself into a, a Sacramento Kings. That's actually easier said than done, right? You can't stretch everybody. So that takes multiple years to almost get on a process track. So like this year one was they freed themselves from Carmelo. And um, uh, that's almost like the, that's like the step. This whole year was about almost like Giannis two years ago was like, okay, Make Zinger the centerpiece of the season and measure success no other way, right? Surround him as much as he can, right? Surround him with talent and a bruiser like Cantor and a tough guy like O'Quinn and a, you know, an NBA, uh, just an NBA sort of professional point guard like a Jarrett Jack. Just perf- just surround Zinger with some infrastructure. And I go, that's the sort of thing. It's I actually can buy into that. If their objective was to develop Zinger, see what he can become. I, you kind of like the Tim – you don't like the money you give Tim Haraway, but I see what they're doing. Get a bit of a dynamic score that can play around him. Get an, a professional point guard like Jack who can kind of steady things whilst you see what you got with Frankie Smokes. Um, I could I saw the logic. Now, whether they're shooting for 45 wins or 35 is almost not the question. Is That was set up to see what Zinger can become. That's why this injury, the whole season was set up to surround him. And so now it's like, where to from here? That's a great question. Is he, you have, They're going to have no choice now between now and the 2019 draft just to do asset accumulation. And so, again, I don't love I don't love Moutier as a fit. I don't love what I've seen from him. I've seen a few flashes, but I've certainly seen more flashes from Frankie Smokes. So, well, they played a bit together today. So I think that the, the thinking is they maybe can share the court together. 
two non-shooters, huh? Right, okay. <laughs> right, that's interesting. Well, I no, think they're going to let Moutier, go, Moutier um, pull the trigger, so well, they'll see what they've got with Moutier. I think he might he might be surprised yeah. how much they do let him shoot. But look for the price of Dougie Buckets. I don't... He's... Sorry, he's he's not the next Cal Corver. He's an okay player. He'll hang on in the league for a few more years. But I, I haven't seen much from from Dougie McDermott, which is what they gave up in the, in that trade. Obviously, who came over in the Carmelo deal. So, mm. yeah, look, I, I think it's they. I that sort of move. I actually don't mind. They're taking a chance on Moody. Is only still I think twenty one, twenty two. Obviously, some injuries, right? But you know, why not? That's an asset, Dougie. Dougie Buckets isn't, he's not an asset. So Moutier could become something. So I, I think that's what we're going to see now is they're just going to start to accumulate assets and you hope that they don't do something crazy and try to get to the, into the free agency game uh, in the off season. But um, they've got, uh, they're probably on the outside looking in, in terms of, you know, tankathon. I don't know how they're going to catch Sacramento, Phoenix, Dallas, Atlanta, Memphis, Orlando. I don't, that, that sort of, um, it's just the worst possible timing. Like, there's never a good time, timing. but yeah. th- th- that is the worst because he he's played well enough to lift them up to you know, as I say, they probably weren't in the playoff conversation, but they're certainly not in the tankathon conversation. They're right in that middle yeah. of the range. Yeah. But now you've written off this season, and now you've also written off next season because of the recovery time. So it just could not have happened at, at possibly yeah. a worse time. That's right. Now look, so Jabari's um, torn his twice, and he's come back. Man, he looked really good. And Jabari's been jumping over the rim, and he's literally his first play. He caught a ball in the wing, did a jab step, pulled up, and drained a drained a tw- uh, eighteen twenty footer. And he's been kind of attacking in the rim. And you know, I don't know what Zinger's work ethic's going to be like, but poor Jabari spent two years of his career rehabbing two different ACL tears, and he looks okay. And it feels like. He, you know, it's terrifying literally every time he jumps. But that's, the, I guess, the you start to have to look at silver linings is that, you know, he's had a balky knee all year, right? He's had time away with soreness. And so one has to wonder, might he have had some, you know, a little bit of structural um, challenges going on with the knee already? And maybe it was inevitable. And so in one regard, right, you, I, you could t- paint a story that, Maybe he's going to have a really great left knee now. Maybe it had been balky for some time, and this was going to happen. And so you get it fixed, make it 100%. And Zinger's not going to – look, he was trying 7'3", and he was kind of skying over the adrenaline of trying to sky over Giannis. But Zinger can have a very long career in the NBA without having to play like Jabari Parker, mm. right? So that's the thing where you sort of hang your hat, where he's so skilled, such good footwork, such a good shooter um, that – it shouldn't affect him long-term the way an ACL affects, say, a Zach Levine or a Jabari, whose games are predicated on explosiveness. So that's the, that is not a very good silver lining, but that's all we have right now. So, Well, there's two uh, final points I'll make. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. if we get to this point next year and the Knicks have won 20 games and he's fit enough to come back, how do they manage him? What, yeah. what do they try and yeah. do? Because obviously yeah. if he comes back and they say, let's try and feature him again, well, you might put yourself up to 35 wins and, you, and then you take yourself out of the tankathon conversation and the high draft. <sighs> so, you know, that, that's where, again, the timing issue comes and it really falls badly for the Knicks. And that's where I think the big questions are going to be asked. You know, wh- wh- what do you do? There's no way, I can't see any uh, 
route for them to be a, a relevant team in terms of playoffs, etc. next year, unless LeBron shocks everyone and, and packs up and moves to New York. No, that's not happening. Look, they, they need to they need to solve the, the Noah situation. If I'm not mistaken, he's got two more years on his deal, right? Yeah. Um, that for me is, I guess that's the that's the thing hanging over their heads. That's the that's a giant contract. They need to either God, really buy the can, can't even. It'd be really hard to stretch that. <laughs> um, they just might do a buyout, right? I don't know how they do it, but a two year buyout. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they do like they did with the Larry Sanders, where the Bucks are paying, you know, for eternity for Larry Sanders on a buyout mm-hmm. situation. But um, look, Saul for Noah. Keep their draft picks, you know, pick pick as wise as they can, pick a hopefully an athletic wing of some sort wherever they land, um, let Zinger rehab, save all their money, right? Trot out this team, get some low minimum salary guys next year. Um and uh yeah, and just reload hmm. with youngsters. And look, there's not much risk. I hear you what you're saying about if he comes back, you know, after game you know, say game 55, 16, has got 25 games. That, in a way, like what Jabari's doing now, it's almost a perfect time to come back because the expectations are quite moderated and you can kind of ease your way back in. You get 20 games under your belt because it's really mostly about physical and emotional confidence that I can do this stuff with my knee again. It's more than that. So even when you say they're going to feature him, look, the reality is you come back from an ACL, unless he sits out the whole season, if he comes back in a year and he's ready, I think it's a good thing. Play 15 minutes a night for, you know, 15 games and just, you know, get confidence back. So from that perspective, it's, that's probably better path than if he sits out all of next season and has to come back in, I guess, you know, what's that, 1920. And now this guy hasn't played in 18 months, Daz. So I go, ooh, now you're talking about rust and timing and perhaps even a, you know, a bit of a longer lead time to becoming the man again. But We'll see. You almost hope the Knicks kind of get lucky there at number eight or number nine, wherever they draft next year. Yeah, I think that, and that's going to be the big question. Uh, ideally, if he comes back in a couple of years, you know, Frankie Nilakun is up and about. Maybe Moody has shown something, and they've got a couple of nice uh, draft picks um, to to pair with him, uh, whether they're back core players or more front core players. So I'm just trying to look up his contract now because there's also obviously the the, the small matter of whether he resigns uh, in the uh, when his next contract is up. And uh, well, he's eligible for the, for the extension. He's eligible for the rookie extension this offseason. They're going to face exactly what exactly the, Bucks the same face, Bucks exact same yep. as, as Jabari last year. And what we came to learn um, just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, was reported by I think Zach Lowe uncovered it that. They'd actually had a three-year, $54 million offer on the table for Jabari, and he turned it down. He bet on himself. So they'd, they'd worked on, you know, sort of longer longer uh, contracts with, you know, you know some a little bit less average annual value and some, you know, some, I think, some qualifiers and incentives in it. They looked at shorter deals, like even like a two-year 45 or something. What are you? Two year forty something. So shorter but bigger annual. And Jabari's bet on himself. So he's got a lot of pressure. Lots of pressure on Jabari. Well, so there's no might... way he's earning that sort of money in the in off season. Well, that's right. So unless he has a spectacular, that's what the terrifying thing. He now needs to. 
He's almost Isaiah Thomas or Jabari Parker and Isaiah Thomas. These two, you know, who knows what, where their injuries are at playing for, um, playing for this huge next contract and, and Jabari is going to be restricted, right? So it's, you know, they'll let the market sort of dictate, you know, an offer. But if he shows something in his last 25 games, you know, the, well, the question becomes... I can't see a scenario what? where anyone's paying him more than $20 million a year. Well, that's what I'm saying. But I go $20 million would really, really, really have the Bucks thinking hard. Like I said, they've the Bucks have fucking sunk so much money in Tony Snell, Della Vadova, Telly, um, and Henson. And they're stretched guys at twenty million a year. Jeez, they obviously well, this has been rights. the big story of the trade deadline is how cash traps these teams are because they thought yeah. that the the cap would keep rising forever and a day, and of course it made the <clears> one <throat> big rise, and then there's been two very moderate rises since then, and it's not going up massively again in this off season. So guys that were turning down some of these sort of contracts a couple of years ago, thinking I'll get paid at the end of this. It's not happening now. And we saw with Lou Williams. I mean, Lou Williams, $8 million a year, does. Like, if he had signed that contract two years ago, what is he, $15 million a year? Yeah, he'd be on Alan Crabb money, Evan Turner money, right? Well, Jordan Clarkson Lou, Lou, money. Lou, Lou Williams is earning less than Della Vadova, right? Exactly. Clarkson money. That's <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly. Right. So yeah. it's cra- absolutely crazy. So yeah. just quickly, last point on Jabari, I think, one of the things, I, and I said this at the time, I think sports science has come a, come a long way and the recovery that these guys, you might be surprised at how well guys can recover um, from ACLs. I'm not suggesting you didn't get the best of sports science available to you, Daz, in your recovery uh, circumstances, but I think it might have come uh, a reasonable distance since then and also, obviously, <laughs> yeah. given the, given the uh, level of performance um, that's expected from Jabari, as well, so it, it's not a career ender that may have been, you know, ten ten years ago. Even. No, but it's just, it's the explosiveness, right? It's it's just the explosiveness and the, the recovery is not the question. It's the, you know, the, what tends to be is that it tends to show that the biomechanics of the guy who tears your ACL multiple times just aren't conducive to, you know, playing high risk. A sport like high risk to one's knee, like like obviously NBA basketball, and 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 for the record, I, I actually did get my um, my third most successful surgery done by Dr. Lars Ingebretson, who's a Norwegian um, Winter Olympic surgeon. So I happened to be visiting Minnesota for a year, so I was very 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 lucky to get a literally world class sort of surgeon um, to make me the. <laughs> The superstar in my own mind <laughs> on the intramural courts after that. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, good luck, Zinger. Um, I heard Jabari texted him. That, you know, it's not worth much, but you know, there's a obviously those of us who go there's a there's a really tight fraternity, you know, um, in that sort of camp. Um, you know, maybe he and Boogie can you know, do Pilates together or something in the off season. Well, I'm sure Bertans can have a chat to him as well. They're both Latvian, so uh, they might. Oh, that's share, right, of course. Share some yeah, more Davis. stories because yeah. Davis has had uh, the couple of ACLs as well. Just to touch on that trade quickly, so it was uh, Moody goes to the Knicks, uh, Doug McBuckets goes to Dallas, and Devin Harris, the 34-year-old veteran, goes to the Nuggets. So the Nuggets uh, could have kept Jameer Nelson, but obviously Jefferson's such a key part of their rotation. That made sense to get rid of him, so now they bring in another veteran uh, to back up their point guards. But look, we'll wait. So I mean, Devin Harris, uh, meh, oh, I'm not that excited about that. I don't think that's going to 
do a heck of a lot. Um, I'd, I'd still prefer to have Jameer Nelson on the roster, to be perfectly honest. But I mean, we'll how, see. He may, I mean, he may how, give them some decent minutes. Well, all I'll say on that is how, how much do you hate Emmanuel Moutier to turn him into 34-year-old <laughs> Devin Harris? You know, Devin Harris is a nice player. Obviously, he's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin kid. Love him. Like literally grew up you know, 20 miles from me. So awesome dude. But come on, you know he's thirty-four. His best years—he's five years past his best years. So, how much do you hate Moutier? That's what I find really peculiar. Like, was that—is this a make make good trade? Like, just to kind of wrap your arm around him and go, look—you've been passed, you've been long passed over by obviously Murray and Harris and stuff, and you're just not going to get any minutes. So, we're letting our two young studs kind of develop, and then we're going to fill out the roster with with veterans, which kind of makes sense from an asset perspective. I mean, from a development perspective. Well, I think they just want someone that can be part of their rotation, and clearly Moutier wasn't ever going to be part of the rotation. Yeah. Uh, Devin Harris does have a chance to be. That would be the only thing I would I could see uh, coming out of it, and uh, and just a guy that can actually run an offense. So, and I and I don't see honestly, I haven't seen one person on that roster that I feel like can run an offense so far this year. So, no, Moutier is like he is like clunky Schroeder. Like, that's how bad he is. Like, it's Schroeder, right, is so, so out of control. For me, Moody has a similarish game to Schroeder, that sort of very athletic, but just so not heady, <laughs> right? Really instinctive, but not quite controlled instinctive and not nearly skilled enough, you know, to make up for it, like a Bledstowe who's so super athletic and super instinctive and enough skill to overcome it. So, I, But I go... That must that tells me a lot on the outside looking in. I know about Moutier and his rotation minutes and his injuries and stuff, but I go, when he gets jettisoned for a Devin Harris, for them to make a run at an eight seed, that tells me that he's falling. He's not just not worthy of rotation. They like he's worth like Rashad Vaughn, right? This guy is not you know, he not worth keeping around. So hmm. who knows? You never know if they have a a resurgence, a, a Trey Burke resurgence like he's had in New York or something, but um, yeah, I actually like it for Dallas. You know, we don't talk about them much because, well, they're pretty irrelevant. But you know what? I think you know Dougie McBuckets actually is. That's actually a team that he probably makes sense for. That's a player that they don't have. Um, so yeah, good on you, Dallas. You can win one more game this year. <laughs> well, he's the he's the poor man's Kyle Corver, isn't he? So uh, yeah. he can be part of a rotation. That's it. And uh, as you say, they might win one or two more games. Uh, with McDermott on the roster. Let, let's move on to the big story, Dad. So the trade deadline came and went. Uh, obviously, the big team that everyone was watching was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do they make the move? Do they stick with this horrible roster that they had? Well, we got our answer, and it was a definitive one. Uh, I I don't think there's ever been a shake-up like this of a contending team at a trade deadline. Let me just run through, and I'm just going to go through the players that left and the players that came in rather than look at each trade separately, because I think you have to obviously look at it, from the, particularly from the Cavs' point of view, overall and see the, the overall moves and, and who they bought in and who they got rid of. So leaving is Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, Derek Rose, Jay Crowder, Channing Fry, and Iman Shumpert, as well as their 2018 first-round pick, which goes to the Lakers, and the Heat... 2020 second round pick which goes to the Kings so the Kings did actually get something for George Hill at the end of the day Uh, and coming in was Rodney Hood George Hill, Jordan Clarkson Larry Nance Jr and a Heat 2020 second round pick 
um, which is heavily protected as part of the Dwayne Wade trade back to the Miami Heat. So there was a hilarious um, Isaiah Thomas uh, tribute video that went out <laughs> uh, from the Cavs. It was quite, quite funny. Uh, funnily enough, he actually looked, he's had his best game of the season, Daz, in the Lakers uniform uh, as soon as he left. So uh, I thought that was that was interesting. So what did you make? I'll give my quick take and then I'll get your sort of a more nuanced take, I guess. My quick take was, look, I don't know how Kobe Alton could have done much better than this. He got younger, he got more athletic, uh, more exciting. He's given a, this team a, a, a pathway to relevance beyond LeBron. Uh, and uh, as Daz pours ones out for the Isaiah Thomas Cleveland Cavaliers era, uh, he's given a, a path to relevance beyond LeBron. So even if LeBron leaves there, and I watched the game today, and LeBron sat for big portions of this game. He didn't even play in the fourth quarter. It was a blowout. And they looked good, Daz, even when LeBron was on the bench. There was no thought that this team was just going to fall to pieces. Uh, I think they've turned this team from an absolute disaster into a team that can certainly go back to the finals again. I think they're a long way off being able to beat the Rockets or the Warriors. But I, I think that the rest of the Eastern Conference need to sit up and take notice of this. But what was your your reaction to the trades. My meta reaction was, um, who was it? Was it Charles Barkley? He called LeBron James the drama queen, mm. right? No, he is the drama king. I mean, how do they manage to keep stealing the headlines, right? And we have to keep fucking talking about the number three seed in the Eastern Conference. They just keep making news, whether it's the locker room drama, it's Isaiah and all the stuff that it's been fascinating to read a little bit more about how the, obviously when the player gets traded, it lifts the lid on the honesty and how there were factions in the locker room. And it was basically him and Jay Crowder trying to play the right way, the Boston way and LeBron, you know, LeBron and everyone else is like, what, what the fuck is going on? And D Wade trying to do his thing and LeBron rolling his eyes at D Wade. So you, it, it's uncovered the dysfunction in the locker room. So my meta, my meta reaction was, boy, no team knows drama like a LeBron Cleveland team. So I with the sigh, I, all right, here's the, how do we unfold and unpack this drama? Um, in totality, you're right. You've said it all. They got younger, faster, fitter, deeper, smarter, and most importantly, which we talk about a lot, uh, and this is the, the word we're all going to use now, funner. <laughs> they're just they're going to be more fun. I think it was my meta. My first sort of text was like, I don't know yet if this is going to mean more wins. It's going to take time, right? The rotations like have to take some time and so on and so forth. But man, oh man, oh man, this has to be fun for LeBron to be surrounded by athletes. I mean, to go from Jay Crowder and IT and Derek Rose and Channing Fry to, you know, Mr. Body Rodney Hood and Mr. Professional George Hill and jump out of the gym Larry Nance and, you know, baby Lou Williams and, and Lou, Clark, uh, Lou Clarkson. In, in, uh, <laughs> there you go, baby Lou uh, and Jordan Clarkson. It's fun. Like, that has to be fun, right? That's got to be more fun than waking up staring at listen to Isaiah bitch to reporters about his teammates, you know, over their shoulder and, you know, watching Jay Crowder pout and whatever, watching 
Kevin Love trim his pubes with his neck beard <laughs> trimmer, right? Or whatever Kevin Love does in the locker room. So. Well, here's a five that he shared the court with at one point today. There was It was Tristan Thompson, LeBron, Rodney Hood, George Hill, and Corver. And LeBron awesome. was just fun. having fun. Like, and it's just unguardable. Like, Rodney Hood's just naked open for threes because obviously there's, show, there's shooting everywhere. And LeBron's just sitting up at the top of the key at times and just thought, oh, I'll just pull up for a three here because no one's coming out to meet me. And then they come over and try and stop him. He finds George Hill wide open for three. So you've got guys that don't necessarily need the ball in their hand. Are they going to be happy to just sit out there and, and take open shots? Uh, or if LeBron goes and sits, Rodney Hood can say, okay, I'll take take the ball for a bit. Or as you say, baby Lou, Jordan Clarkson can run the show for a little bit. George Hill can do whatever he wants. And they're flying around on defense, Daz. Like they've brought Osman in. Osman started today. Look, I don't think he's sort of their deli in terms of his talent levels, but he's engaged. He's he's active on defense. Um, he, he's he's in there every play having, having a go. And the effort just lifts and the intensity is lifted. And Tristan Thompson... Straight away today, looked a different player than me. The, the atmosphere is just gone from a, a morgue to a, a celebration, you know. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing. So I go, uh, is the, uh, what I said, just repeating it. I didn't appreciate it. And our, our our resident Cavs fan, maybe I didn't hear him hinting about the. I didn't. He, we heard all about the dysfunction on the court. I didn't know about all the dysfunction in the locker room. Did you? Did you know how bad it was? Oh, well, the like, more just... stories kept coming out about that team meeting. And it just... Sure. Things yeah. kept flowing. So I suppose it was late in the day yeah. when that did yeah. start coming out. But before that, no, I just thought they're playing too. This is a terribly constituted roster and they're not playing good basketball. So look, let's be honest though, right? So let's break it down a little bit more further. So, yep, they got younger and more athletic and, they're, and LeBron's going to have more fun. And I go, they've suddenly, they're ready to go. Thompson, TT, LeBron, Rodney Hood, J.R. Smith, um, George Hill would be a great starting five. Then when Love comes back, you know, got Love, Larry Nance Jr., Kyle Korver, Jordan Clarkson, um, Chetty Osmond, and then even Jose Calderon, right? And I'm probably missing some. They go confidently 11 capable NBA players deep all of a sudden. When before they were playing, you know, is Crowder engaged? IT couldn't defend you know, uh, an amputee dwarf, the right, uh, Channing Fry hasn't played defense since, you know, 2004, da, 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 da. just Derek Rose, etc. They just jettisoned, right, a bunch of garbage for a lot younger players. That's, so that's true. Now, the reality is this where then Bill Simmons, as I think I texted you as well, painted a very, very clear breadcrumbs, right? This story was who the hell takes on Jordan Clarkson, who's owed $13 million a year for the next two years, right? Shouldn't they have been stapling the assets to get rid of that contract? But instead, they stapled Larry Nance, who's, you know, he's a rotation player. He's all right, right? But he's, he's never going to be more than, you know, fancy Darvin Ham. Um, that's a real player's name, by the way, if those of you who didn't <laughs> watch basketball in the 90s. So what's curious is that first rounder going to the Lakers, um, which I, I think that sort of raised a few eyebrows. And you know, as Bill Simmons said, look, if you uh, next year from now when we start looking back and go, oh, we should have seen the signs. Like, well, 
here's the three greatest signs. Number one, we know Maverick Carter met with um, Polinka and Magic Johnson uh, last uh, last year around this time. The next uh, last summer, the very next day, D'Angelo Russell is traded. Right? He's jettisoned. He's gone, and he's freed up. What else do we know? Number two, right? Um, Contavious Caldwell Pope, right? A Rich Paul client. He's gotten horrible advice, and he's off left. Is left hanging in the wind, right? Embarrassed, and he's got no contract. And you know what? Guess he's going to call. You know, he's going to pull a favor. He gets a big whopping one-year, eighteen million deal from the Lakers. And here we are again today, right? The desperate, desperate LeBron at the trading deadline needs to get some youth, and they do not want to give up the Nets pick, and who's there? Well, quid pro quo, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We'll clean your cap sheet for you, L.A., and so here's a first-round pick to help you clean your cap sheet, right? So we'll pay you and take your crappy contracts in and, and Jordan Clarkson, and the price you have to pay for that is just Larry Nance frickin' Jr. So, right, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers just cleared – the cap space of the second most immovable contract on their team, right? The first one being Luol Deng. So I go, if that's not fuel for conspiracy theorists, so those who want to say, boy, to point are the signs pointing towards LeBron joining the Lakers next year, I guess I don't know what is. Yeah, but I think the thing I'd say about the Cavs, I don't think they care about contracts at the moment. I think they're all in for this year. Oh, they clearly don't. They don't care about contracts. So you can't judge that in terms of what a team should be doing looking further forward. I think that they're, they're just saying, look, this is our window. Our window may very well shut at the end of the year. I think they half expect that it will. Um, whether it's clearing cap space to LA come into their thinking, or not, I'm not, I don't think so. So X's nose, I think they'll figure it out. I like the athleticism. And look, there's all kinds of injury risk with Hood and Hill, So, but they'll figure it out. The, uh, tip your hat to Kobe Altman for pulling this off. The sheer administrative volume to do this, right? This all happened about within an hour of each other. Right? This wasn't like the days leading up to the deadline. It was like bang, 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 you know, uh, 1 o'clock, 1.30, 1.45. These <laughs> just hammered the, hammered the deadline. And, and suddenly, you know, D. Wade's back in Miami. And the sheer administrative volume to do this off, pull this off properly is, is impressive. But the, the part, that, again, you know, my perspective on these things the part that's underreported, right? You just said it yourself, though, is that they weren't looking beyond this year. Now, what this tells me is that there's maybe more of a bond between. So, if I'm a Cavaliers fan, here's the part I'm looking at: Dan Gilbert just opened up his checkbook for LeBron. So, just as you said, they're not looking beyond this year. Those of us who analyze the situation go, boy, oh boy fucking Lakers fleeced the Cavaliers. How on earth did they extract a first-round pick and get off the Clarkson contract? That would have had to, you thought those would have to go hand-in-hand where L.A. has to staple a really great asset just to get rid of Clarkson, yet they were managed to swing it around, right? So you look at that and you go, that tells me, that tells me that Danny Gilbert is also all in because this is all coming back on, on money. Right, the money, 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 and the tax bill, and the hundred and hundred and two million dollars in commitments for next year without LeBron, right? That's already guaranteed. It's it's outrageous. So that tells me Danny Gilbert's in. 
Danny Gilbert's opening up the checkbook, and I wonder if there's actually is there a is there more of a connection, more of a bond, more of a communication path, more of a mutual understanding. I'm not sure which of those is the is the right order of magnitude between LeBron and Gilbert than we perhaps thought. So if I'm a Cavaliers fan, I can easily see this logic towards the Lakers, but I also see man. This is Danny Gilbert giving it a proper, proper go. This is not Danny Gilbert refusing or not allowing the GM to trade any of his first-round picks. This is not him meddling and freezing out LeBron. This is him saying, you know what, okay, I'll bite the bullet. So, Yeah, As, I think it's a bit overblown that Danny Gilbert, LeBron can't stand. You, I mean, you wonder. You LeBron wonder, yeah. and, and Danny Gilbert will... will the story goes that LeBron tried to facilitate Dan Gilbert to buy the Detroit Pistons in the off-season. And the thinking is that LeBron wants to buy a piece or buy the Cleveland Cavaliers. And there is a school of thought out there that thinks LeBron could stay in Cleveland or even come back to Cleveland later on as the owner um, of the franchise. So whether there, And whether there's been discussions between his people and, and Dan Gilbert's people to that end, I'm not sure. But I think that's where LeBron's already thinking about um, you know, yeah. controlling the chessboard even more as an owner. And if he can't beat Michael Jordan as a player, I'll tell you what's a lot lower bar to jump over to beat him as an owner, does. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my my money's on the Cavaliers winning more games than the the CHA franchise. That is for sure. So, so where, where does this leave the Cavs? I mean, in terms of their ceiling now, because I mean, I know you said to me last week you were out on them the the way that roster was constructed, and we'll, and we'll touch on the other teams involved in this in a second. Yeah. We yeah. were both out. I mean, I sort of said the Raptors. You were, I think, leaning towards the Celtics. Where are you now? I mean, are you back on in in, in Cleveland's corner? Um, do you still? Do you, are you still think? I mean, they they smoked oh. the Celtics today in Boston, albeit one game, but gee, it was it was emphatic. I've they're they're now officially off the written off list, and now they're in. Let's see it right with so many new players and new pieces, and Kevin Love coming back in whatever four to six weeks. All right, there's a there's some fucking coaching to be done. Right, both you know by Ty Lue and LeBron to get everyone on the same page. There's some locker room bonding to get get going, and there's some fingers to be crossed that um, Hill and George don't get hurt. Right, because what happens? That's the other thing. If Hill or George goes down again, and you're kind of fuck, you got starting Jose Calderon next to J.R. Smith. Sorry, that's not scaring anyone. So, whilst they're now, I think definitely back in the conversation, and they're deeper and younger. It's. I'm going to have to put on a wait and see. Let me see. Dare I say? It, let me see ten, fifteen games, if not the rest of the season. So I, but they're they're now they're back in the conversation for sure. Well, for you know sure. who's back. You know who they got back with this trade and who they actually recruited again was LeBron James, because this was a guy. You talk about being checked out. This was a guy that was checked out of those those last few games. Like he just had had enough of that particular iteration of that team, and I mean they they pulled the the Wolves game out of their backsides, and we might actually touch on that and the the terrible end of game uh, play by the Wolves in that game. But what I saw today was he's back engaged, and even the game before that, before the new guys came in, and I think 
the good thing now about this roster is it goes deep enough where they can say, look, you know what, Clarkson hasn't got it tonight, but we're going to ride J.R. Smith for a bit, and hopefully his play improves, or we're going to ride Rodney Hood tonight, because we know how inconsistent Rodney Hood's been. We know how inconsistent Clarkson's been, but hopefully Lou can sort of understand quickly in those games, well, who's got it, who hasn't, and then we'll see who who's going to support LeBron. And if LeBron brings it every night at the level that he's able to, I can see them um, steamrolling again through this Eastern Conference. They and might. Assuming, got- the, the big question is, do the Raptors have any belief at all that they can beat this team? They now have four different guys who can, I'll say three, three and a half. They have three for sure who can score 25 a night, right? LeBron, Rodney Hood, and Kevin Love, right? Yep. I was going to say Clarkson on a, on, a, on a day, he can also light it up, right? He can kind of go, again, baby Lou Williams and score a lot of points, right? So you got three legitimate 25, per, if you need 25, not saying it's going to be their average, and Clarkson can light it up. Then you've got three elite, two elite shooters in George Hill and Corver, and J.R. Smith theoretically, right? He still has, you still have to defend him, you know, up to 28 feet. Then you got your two yeomen, your hardworking Right. If Tristan Thompson has a bit of a you know revival, him and Larry Nance is a really nice combination. And then you've got your you know you kind of your your mystery pieces, your your Jose Calderon and Chetty Osmond stuff. You know, and on any given night they can be again they can help you win uh, NBA basketball games. So there are definitely more more weapons, more approaches, and all that is more fun for LeBron. It's going to be more fun, and more fun for LeBron means more. It's like happy wife, happy life. Happy LeBron, happy Cleveland, right? Mm. So he'll have fun. I think he'd even, if they fucking go down in a blaze of glory, I dare I say, if they lost, whatever, they lose in the first or second round, but they're they're fun and going for it and diving, diving on the floor and all the rest of it, I think you'll see him hugging guys and stuff, right? Hugging and embracing. Whereas imagine if that, the roster they had from three days ago, lost in a playoff series in five games or something, it would have been, Cold shoulders, shrugs, no eye contact, right? So, and that's that's a big difference. That's a big difference if you're a LeBron trying to weigh up, am I going to come back or not? Is do I want to go to war with these guys? So, mm, yeah, um, and that's the thing. They've improved their chances of holding on to LeBron they have, as well. They, have, um, they definitely definitely have done that. But so. so so have the Lakers improved their chances, I guess, of signing the officers. I'll say this about LeBron and, and the Lakers rumors, and they're obviously not going anywhere. And I don't think LeBron's made his mind up yet. I think he'll make it up in the off season. But he's not going there just to play with Paul George. I mean, they need a third player, and I hate to say it, Daz. More and more of Spurs Nation are starting to look at uh, the development of Brandon Ingram and uh, Kuzma and even Ball and starting to think of maybe there's a Kawhi Leonard to the Lakers trade uh, going to be worked in the offseason. So that's just a, a watch this space. But when you hear something from one or two people, and, and we spoke about this in the last pod, you, you, it's easily dismissed. But when you start hearing from four and five different people and the beat riders are very very silent on this because of the respect they have for the organization but they're certainly not refuting it there is some issues there with Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio and there's no certainty uh, that he's going to sign that extension and not ask to be traded himself or or sort of make moves to get out of uh, San Antonio in the offseason so I think the hope in San Antonio is he comes back and plays and 
and winning sort of cures, uh, whatever ails him and, and whatever's bothering him at the moment. But this sort of thought that Kawhi Leonard's going to be happy to just sit in San Antonio and not be part of the limelight, I think those days are over. I think he wants a bigger bigger share of the limelight. It's not necessarily the San Antonio way, either on the court or off the court. And what I'm hearing is that's that's not what Kawhi Leonard wants for the rest of his career. And there's no brighter lights in the NBA than, than the LA Lakers does. So... LeBron, mm. Kawhi, and PG in LA. There's a there's a team oh that can God. compete, and it could happen. God, that'd be fun, actually. As horrible no, as that, that would sounds, not be fun. <laughs> that would no, it'd be, be fun for everyone. But San it'd be Antonio fun fans. for you to watch me root for Brandon Ingram, I guess. Well, it'd be fun. To, I don't know who you'd root for. I'd go imagine that trio defending Golden State. Like imagine a more terrifying trio. On, of wing defenders than, than those three. Well, while my so, backside points to the ground, I will never root for the Los Angeles Lakers. Never. Even with Kawhi? Never. Kawhi will be dead to me if he goes to the Lakers. That's You'd it. be pulling for Golden State to beat them? Go uh, KD? I think I'd, I'd, I'd go for the refs, I think. Go for Monty so, McCutcheon. jeez. Oh, <laughs> You fence sitter. Have a, have a good you game, fence, Monty. You fence sitter. Now, gun to my head, I'd go for Golden you'll, State. You'll be, you'll be, yeah, you'd be a Giannis fan, maybe. Yeah, depressing. Mm. Look, I don't know. Look, I'll trust you on that one. It's As an outsider, I see nothing more than, again, I've, as I've theorized to you, and I've got no basis in actual what I've read about it, but if what I believe to be true is, um, you know, how LMA... Uh, and his Popovich sort of uh, love affair in the off season, where he wanted to get traded. Papa said, "Oh, can't do it, and let's sit down and have a heart to heart and work out what to do." And this year of Evola, he's no longer fat bag of donuts, sad, you know, uh, dopey, dopey dude in the corner. He's got the post and repost and re repost and re re repost with, you know, going into Beautiful him to and watch. tippy toe, be- beautiful, elegant. You know, like the fifties, all nineteen fifties, all over again. He was George Mikan. Uh, look, so there's that, and uh, you know, we know um, certainly from Dame. You know how LMA just basically sh- shut out everyone in in Portland and wasn't a very good teammate and just left and chased money. Um, he's you know a bit petulant, kind of bit into himself. And again, I don't have any basis, but just putting these things together and Kawhi seeing how the the chessboard's playing with, you know, Chris Paul with Harden and everything in Golden State and, you know, PG and and, and Russ and Carmelo. And you go, I don't know, right? But d- does you do you not do the calculus and start to think, you know, what about me? And do I do such a heavy li- do such heavy lifting in San Antonio? Right? If I stop, look what happens to us, right? We can we can tread water. Look, they tread water better than any franchise in the league. Treading water as a three seed in a very tough conference, um, but he carries a disproportionate load, right? Of on the court, on on the defensive end, on the offensive end, he carries an enormous load. And one wonders, right? Just one wonders is that part of part of what let you know Cupcake KD go is just so tired of having to do everything and make up for everything that Russ couldn't do is Kawhi going to just get so tired of having to do everything for everyone and be relied upon and, and read every single day from every single, Oh, we, we don't know anything about this season until Kawhi comes back. It's all we wait. Everything waits. And it's just, it's all about him. And I don't know. Is he the sort of guy that wants to be that 
carry the entire franchise uh, quote unquote superstar and I, I don't I don't know but I go I could sort of start as an outsider build the case he's from LA right if I'm not mistaken or Southern California yeah and um yeah well San Diego seems, I believe it seems like guys like to go home <laughs> there's a, there's a, everyone likes to go home thing going on so I, I obviously can't relate to that but uh, I don't know. I've gone from dismissing it out of hand to being mildly concerned, put it that way, and, and even checking out the occasional Brandon Ingram video myself, thinking about a, a possible <laughs> trade in the offices. So uh, that that gives you an insight into. Um, oh, there you go. Well, even with Brandon Ingram, probably still win fifty games, does so. That's just the Spurs. <laughs> he one. probably would, yeah. Unless Pop, unless Pop leaves, Pop's uh, well. Pop's in the, Pop's on the clock too. The, the, Pop's not going to be there beyond twenty twenty. I wouldn't. I, I think Pop might even have the Olympic year. That might be his before the Olympics because he's obviously the Team USA coach. He might want to devote himself you know, full time to that. I think Manu's done after this year, and then then what? Tony and Powell both got two more years, if I'm not mistaken, and then. No, One Tony's an off. Tony's a uh, free agent. This UFA season. this year, yeah, yeah. Well, but they'll, they'll bring him it. back. They'll bring him. They'll back. bring him back, right? Yeah. So that's my read. So wouldn't he retire with maybe retire? Well, with he Tony originally said he was going to retire with Tim Duncan. He said when Duncan retires, I'll be out the door. But then he promised Aldridge that he would see out Aldridge's contract, first contract. Oh, and he's, okay. he's also said he's made promises to other guys that he'll stay there. So we're we're not quite sure at the moment. But he's on okay. the clock. He's not going to be okay. there. Beyond, I'd, I'd be shocked if he's there beyond years, 2020. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'd be shocked. Okay. But, but then right. they've already got uh, Messina as the assistant coach, and they, they, they've basically said you know he will be the next head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. Unless he's so, coaching Milwaukee next year. Yeah. Well, no, he hasn't. He so, doesn't even take interviews because it's all it, it's all sort of set he's, up. In so. a, he's a succession plan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Becky Becky Hammond's your best bet if you want. You never the, know. Uh, the you Spurs. Never know. So. Uh, let's move on to the other sides of this trade. So we've sort of touched on the Lakers. Look, let, let's wait and see what Isaiah Thomas. It would be funny if Isaiah has a big end of the season and they bring him back and then they bring LeBron in as well. <laughs> Although I think the chances of that would be, be minor. But look, they're going to let Isaiah Thomas uh, shoot the ball and um, he's coming off the bench at the moment. Whether that stays or not, I'm not sure. I can't see him and Lonzo playing well together. Uh, I think he'll just sort of lead the, the second year. Off. He'll basically play Jordan Clarkson's role, and I guess the Lakers would hope do it a little bit better. They've actually won. I mean, they, they've, they were 12 and 4 in their last 16 games. They lost um, They lost in Isaiah Thomas's first game back to Dallas, but uh, they had actually been playing well, and that sort of slipped under the radar for me. I, I had to double check when I saw that stat. I was like, are they really 12 Mate, they, and 4? They beat the Thunder twice in five days. Yeah, yeah, so they, they've been, and I remember it was only a couple of weeks ago. I said Luke Walt might be on on the watch list to get uh, to get fired. I don't think that, that's a. Once I make a prediction on this pod, does you can take it to the bank that the opposite's going to happen. So um, <laughs> the only thing that's been true to my uh, my thinking was Phoenix have just gone in the continue to go in the toilet since I bagged them. But so the Lakers have, have played uh, good basketball, but uh, we'll see what Isaiah Thomas does for the rest of the season. And look, the Cavs first round pick. Uh, that's a nice one. Why the Cavs didn't just say, let give us a second round in the back, at, at the very least, I'm not sure, but taking on Clarkson's deal. Yeah. But look, they're, they're all in on this season. They see the way Clarkson fits, and obviously they were on the clock as well. And if they walked out of that 
if, if, KB Altman did not want to face LeBron and say, oh, we couldn't move Isaiah Thomas out of this team. I think LeBron might have said to him, don't even ever speak to me again if you don't move Isaiah <laughs> Thomas off this ball club. <laughs> so that, that may have come into the thinking. So uh, an interesting point was made to me. Someone said, why did they even return Cleveland's calls? Like, why didn't the rest of the league just make it in the groom and cross themselves and say, let's just sit back and let this team yeah. sweat it out with this horrible roster and laugh our heads off. Now, I can understand why the Lakers did it, I guess. But then you sort of look a bit deeper into some of these trades and you understand, look, the Jazz were high on Jay Crowder in the offseason. Don't forget, they tried to do a sign and trade with Haywood for Jay Crowder. And Crowder, from what we understand, didn't want to go. And then they, of course, traded him to the Cavs anyway. So maybe he'd be wishing you did just do that sign and trade and they're looking back. Um, and Jay Crowder, we talked about last week about having nice contracts. He's still on a good contract. Had a nice first game today. He's much, theoretically, he's a much better fit there in Utah than what he was in Cleveland. Uh, the Kings, uh, yeah, I'd look, if someone can explain to me what the Kings are doing, I'm, I'm all ears. I've got absolutely no clue. I guess they, they wanted to get off George Hill's money. I get that. They did get a second-round pick back. Uh, look, I don't know. I don't know. You could get a, a 2020 second-round pick. I suppose if you make a mistake like they made with George Hill and clearly they've given him too much money, um, it's it's better to get off it early than wait too late to get off it. So they, they've gotten off that. Cleared his, uh, his cap off their book. So I understand that. Like, in some ways, from their point of view, I guess it's it's the combination of terrible moves that they've made that, that make you scratch your head. Uh, and Dwayne Wade going back to Miami, well, that made all the sense in the world for their point of view. That's a feel-good story for them. And he can contribute you know, some solid minutes off the bench, I guess, given that, that there's no Dion Wade as he, he fills in a little bit of the, the gap that's there. So on one hand, I, I do understand the thinking that why didn't they just not even take Cleveland's calls and say, let you guys suffer. But when you break down each individual deal, I think you can see why teams at least talk themselves into this. Yeah, look, I, uh, the, the one angle of that that is a little bit perplexing to me was just uh, in the Utah kind of selling selling low on Rodney Hood. Um I think we've anyone who's watched them play would sort of say, "Gosh, he just he passes every eye test, doesn't he?" And he's got these flashes of man, he can just kind of do everything. He's not quite, he's not Wiggins athletic, but he's just so goddamn smooth. He's kind of half Wiggins, half Grant Hill, right? And just got this beautiful shooting stroke, and just can't put it together. And I, that for me is the only little bit of the head scratcher is what. What really was in this for Utah to sell so low on Rodney Hood? Well, um, I think they were going to pay him, and I think they know well, his medical history. So I, I, I'd be a little bit of a red flag there to me. Uh, you wonder what he's in the medical history. So again, perfect parallel. So, so well said. I go that that was maybe what the Bucks did with Brandon Knight, which they, you know, we can argue, why, not argue, uh, ridiculous how they got seduced into Michael Carter Williams. That the Bucks basically said, look, we know Brandon Knight. We know his game. He's going to get a $70 million deal in another two months. We just know we're not going to match it. So you might as well, you know, rather than delay the inevitable, get something for, you know, get something now for him. So that, but I still thought it was a bit, but not a bit of, not total asset destruction, but I don't think I really saw, I guess I didn't really see why they had to do that. And then Sacramento, I don't think we should waste any breath on them. I mean, to draft, Malachi Richardson into draft, 
you know, Papa Giannis where they did, and now they're, you know, both sort of set free this quickly, you know, after being drafted is just another indictment of how, you know, they make bad decisions, they destroy value, they make dubious trades um, around the draft day, and then they take a project like um, Papa Giannis, Papa Giannis, Papa Giannis, Papa, let's call him Papa Giannis. It was a known, pro, known long-term project. What did they do? Cut him after 18 months. Like, what? What? So that, the dysfunction runs deep in, in Sacramento. Um, and you might be right. They might surpass, I think, man. No, actually, I was, I was arguing for them. You were arguing Phoenix, weren't you? I go, who's going to have the worst record? They're going to win. I don't know. How, how are you going to win a game? Like, how are they going to win <laughs> one game? Zach Randolph is still their leading scorer. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, look, it's hard. I mean, and, and that's the good point, I think, about Papadianus. Um, this was a long-term goal. When they drafted him, they said, well, it's a long-term project. And then, as you say, cut him after eight months. He's still only 20 years of age. Uh, he hasn't shown really anything even in the Jude league he's not uh, put up massive numbers no. the, the the story they're giving out now is they're very happy with the way harry giles looks and they think he's going to do very well when he comes into the league next year and they've got an excess of big men so i guess look you've just got to yeah. take them on their word there look it, it, the only thing other thing yeah. i'd say about the puppet Giannis pick it wasn't a great draft anyway it's not like you're looking back on that draft and saying geez if they had siakam That'd be the massive change that they need for the franchise. It was a that's a that's a terrible draft. Looking back on it, um, you know when Brandon Ingram's the number two pick, and you got Chris Dunn at four, and, and you sort of go down and look down. I mean Brogdon's still the best player in that draft class outside of obviously Simmons, who was injured the first year anyway. But they're they're the two standout players yeah. in that in that draft yeah. class, which I think says quite a bit about it. So that's where I'll give them a little bit of a pass. But you've you've got to try and at least. Um, hold on to the to a guy like that and, and just see if he does develop at any stage. So I'd love yeah. to see him go somewhere else and, and develop um, and, and have a decent career, but it, it doesn't seem likely at this point, given what he's done. So let's move on, Daz, to some... And they did get him on Chumpet, so he might uh, resurrect his career there in uh, Sacramento, Daz. I'm not sure what you, uh, what you think about that. So let's look. The Pistons made a couple of interesting moves. Um yeah, Jameer Nelson. Now they actually they've lost two in a row. Now they lost the Clippers and they lost the Hawks today, which was a real head scratcher to me. Although Dwayne Dedman, who didn't get moved at the deadline, which is interesting for tankathon purposes, um, he had a massive game today, probably his best game of his career. I'd suggest hit a big three towards the end as well as an and one. Uh, but they got uh, going back to Detroit. They got Jameer Nelson. So that's a, a, a reasonable point. Obviously, your history with Stan Van Gundy there. And also a guy I like is James Ennis. And Australian fans might be uh, familiar with Ennis. He played um, before he went to the Heat. He was drafted by the Heat, and then they sent him to Australia, and he played for the Melbourne United team in Australia for a season. Uh, and then before going to the Heat, he's obviously been in the Grizzlies since then and ended up at the Pistons. Uh, at the deadline, I think that could be a sneaky good move for them. That's that's a nice perimeter defender, can knock down open threes. Uh, I can see him having a few decent moments for them uh, and, and play good minutes again today. So uh, what do you make of their moves? I mean, not not obviously massive needle-turning moves for them, but um, a, a nice way, though, I guess, fill out what was a, a pretty weak roster outside of their top three or four players. 
Yeah, look, I can't add too much to it. It's I just I, I liked it. They're smart. There's a couple of low cost sort of sort of additions and logical logical fits. So I, not tons to add. Um, I I don't think we're going to talk too much about them. You know, I think um, I still want to see more of you know Blake next to Drummond and you know is, is Reggie Jackson coming back? See, other sort of the question I'm asking myself is. The biggest question for them is more about is he going to get healthy, and if so, this could be a fun, this could be a fun frisky team, I guess, in the playoffs, right? Like, what? Well, they're going to make the playoffs first. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's why I go. When is Reggie Jackson coming back? But uh, that for me is the, probably the more interesting question. Um, is is that look? I was kind of a you know kind of hard hard stroke funny to see them get. Um, whooped at home, you know, in the in the in the reverse homecoming, the game against the Clippers. So Blake obviously in the, the Pistons uniform, and Lou Williams went ape shit. And he couldn't miss, you know, twenty six points uh, that night, and I basically couldn't miss from downtown. And they just swarmed him. It was uh, game was tied after three, and they just blitzed him in the fourth. Um, yeah, I scored him by sixteen points in the fourth quarter. Actually, they were trailing. That's right. Clippers were down three and then outscored the Pistons by 16 yeah. in Detroit in the fourth quarter. So, not a uh, not a great uh, reverse homecoming for uh, for Blake. But uh, yeah, you look. You know, Jameer makes a lot of sense. I like I like it. You know, stick him in there. Who's the other one? Who's the other guy they got? Was um... uh, James Ennis. So there's a, a oh, Ennis, three and D guy yeah, from Memphis. I, of course, love love it. I mean, good, good sort of low addition. And I just. That's why I go. This for me, we're getting to my point was it's less about Detroit than to go. What the fuck is Memphis doing? Like, I mean, should Chris Wallace be fired now for like? Well, Tariq Evans. One one of their nice. They hold on to Tyreek and then and don't don't sell him for anything. I'm like, for me, the the best metaphor. I think it was a Kevin O'Connor metaphor. Was look, it's five minutes and the con the concert starting in five minutes. Do you want this? I'll buy, you know, sell my ticket for $2. Do you sell the ticket right before the event or do you not? And they go, so you might not have gotten your first rounder from Tyreek. Well, then take the two second rounders. Take the best two second rounders because that's what we kept hearing. There were multiple teams offering multiple second rounders for him, and they still didn't do it. Well, what I heard was people wanted them to take salary back, and they did not want to take on any salary for next year. So that was the deal breaker from their point of view. And in the end, they just said, look, rather than take on salary for next year, which that was the only offers on the table, uh, we're going to hold on to Torrey Evans and maybe we'll re-sign him ourselves uh, going forward because he has had a decent year. So I guess, look, you're taking their word on that. Um, you know, oh, play, yeah. teams are trying to, and, and we do know teams are trying to get off salary wherever they can. So, yeah. uh, and they yeah. weren't attaching first rounders that those salary dumps, they were attaching second rounders. So, I, I, I have a little bit of sympathy for, for Memphis there, and I think with Ennis, they probably weren't going to re sign him in the off season. So, similar to the Rodney Hood situation where you try and get what you can um, for a player like that that you probably don't see as a long term part of your plan. So, uh, nice move for the Pistons. Look, Memphis are. They're aiming for a top draft pick. Uh, they held on to the Gasol. Yeah. Conley's been shut down. We'll see Gasol and Conley come back next year, and then we'll see what they can surround them with uh, in terms of the talent. Just quickly on the Lou Williams contract, 
uh, three years, eight million dollars a season. What would you make of that? Um, I actually like the move, and I, the interesting thing for me is, as much as I criticised the Clippers last week, and the criticism was was pretty harsh in, in your view, but uh, I, I see what they're doing in this in the sense of. Let's do the the Houston route, if you like, where we just have a heap of really nice contracts, and then eventually, when the opportunity arises, we package them together and we go out and get ourselves a superstar. Now, whether that's the way it's going to work out, certainly the way it worked out for Houston. If you remember, Houston kept making the playoffs or on the cusp of the playoffs, and they just had a heap of nice players on nice contracts that they were able to bundle together. Well, Lou Williams is now on a nice contract. That's going to be very easy to move if they want to trade him. Tobias Harris is very easy to move. And when you start piling these contracts up together, they become a pretty valuable asset. So I'm actually, I'll give them a bit of credit. I actually like that deal, but I'm interested in your thoughts if you if you sort of thought the same. My way. thought, my thought was, it's one of two things. It's either of schizophrenia. WTF is this franchise doing to sign Blake Griffin to a hundred and whatever it was, $75 million contract and then trade him yet hold on to expiring player option, Deandre Jordan and re up 31 year old Lou Williams. I go, what, how do you do all of those things? Why on earth? Well, I think the the, the story coming out is that there's been two different people running this franchise. So Jerry West wasn't making the decisions when they re-signed Blake Griffin. And when Blake got hurt again early in the season, he got into Steve Barmer's ear and said, see, I told you this was what was going to happen. This guy's going to keep breaking down. We need to get off this as soon as we can because this will be the albatross around this franchise's neck. And that's maybe that's that's where I was getting to as I go. When you take them in totality, they don't make a lot of sense, right? When you've got your long-term guy who's a much better player, to be honest, locked up, and your tradable asset like a DeAndre, you don't trade him and you do the reverse and extend a 31-year-old in totality, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But, but what you're saying, which I guess we're perhaps being led to believe now, is that they just so happened to get an offer for Blake, who they probably thought was untradeable, is we just have to do it. We have to take it. Let's do it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get out of it and reevaluate in the offseason. So I just, I, I don't know if I understand the logic of re-signing Lou. I don't, I don't understand the logic of that, to be honest. I go, why? And they say, well, okay, who's going to be trading for a 32-year-old next year? I go, well, you know. Ah, so I still that sort of befuddles me about what where they're going. Um, well, so I think I that thought, where they're going is let's let's try and stay as a, as a reasonable winning team. We don't want to do the full process, but let's keep our eye on on potential opportunities. Like if a James Harden type player becomes available, and then we can package some good good draft picks to, or sorry some good contracts together and some reasonable players and see if we can do you know like the the new york did for mellow that didn't work out but like for houston it, it did in, essentially for james harden and that has worked yeah. out so that's yeah. I, that's i think the thinking and that's the thinking behind the lou williams eight million dollars a year deal when i saw three years i didn't i look at the numbers i think the numbers were reported first it was just the three years and i was like you know what a head scratching move but when you actually see the numbers you think well eight million a year is pretty reasonable and that's a very easy to move contract um in the coming years i don't think they'll ever have a problem moving that 
in terms of trade. Even at his age, huh? Yeah, maybe. Even his age, just a, there'll always be a player at the team willing to take a chance. I mean, Grunfeld's always just a phone call away to take a chance on Lou Williams. <laughs> so let's that's let's, true. Let's move on to uh, the next trade. Just a quick one: um, the Blazers offload Noah Vonleh. Um, Vonleh really shown nothing in his career to date to suggest that uh, he's ever going to have a long NBA career. But that was just a luxury tax move for them. I mean, any thoughts there, Daz? I mean, have you seen anything from uh, Noah Vonleh to sort of suggest to you that um, maybe he's going to land in Chicago and put up numbers and make some of his career? No. Okay, let's move on. The Nets acquired Dante Cunningham in exchange for Richard Vaughan, who goes to the Pelicans. Now, this is also a part of the deal that uh, brought Tyler Zeller to the Bucks. I don't think we discussed that last week. Um, Tyler Zeller to the Bucks was one of the, the moves that was made just after we we discussed last week. Not sure. Uh, well, well, quickly your thoughts on Tyler Zeller, but can Richard Vaughan get minutes in, in the Pelicans as well? Because they're obviously in the, the backcourt players. I, even since you've read it, I think he's actually been waived already. Oh, has he? Okay. Yeah, so I think that was just getting off so some salary. So that was just getting off some salary for the buyout market. Well, but I thought it was weird, though, because I thought Cunningham was a decent rotation player of their... I think oh, they're looking at the buyout market and they need, they need a bit yeah. of cash. That, that must be it. Maybe some maybe some cash there. But uh, And Ziller, yeah, Ziller's a body. He's okay. I, I didn't mind that. It was Vaughn and uh, I think it was a... a, a somewhat heavily protected second if i'm not mistaken um like a top 50 protected second for zeller i'd have to really check the specifics on that so yeah, yeah he's okay he's all right he's a he's a good third center he's fine yeah i don't he think does, we'll, he doesn't, we won't mention tyler zeller again the rest of this season. no but, but i on. go in my world right when you, when you have a team like mine and these fans of like the the Hornets and the fans of the Blazers and there's other teams where you you've got a disproportionate amount of contracts signed to kind of crap, you know, negative VORP sort of 13 PER and below players. You go Tyler Zeller for two million dollars. I will take him and hug him and keep him and call him my own and pet him and feed him and make him happy rather than pay John Henson ten million a year. He's literally John Henson is not five times better five times more productive than Tyler Zeller. So I go, in juxtaposition on my roster, Tyler Zeller is a very, very, very smart asset. He earns $8 million less per year for three fewer seasons than John Henson. That's a good thing. So that's where I think NBA teams are going to go with centers, and they should continue to go with, with centers with that sort of skill set, is pay the boy to take up some space, bang against the, the really big and good centers of the league like the Drummonds and so forth, and rinse and repeat. Just replace them. So that well, for me what, was a that's nice... that's what Golden State have done, essentially. Golden State, that's right. Whether it's Zaza or McGee or, or even, you know, David West, you know, not exactly a center, but he can certainly bang, or Jordan Bell. Yep, just pay the minimum and not waste your cap space with, um, you know, with 10.5 rebound average sort of uh, junk ball seven-footers. So, yeah. Yeah, to Zeller... Head scratcher for New Orleans, I guess. Cunningham, I guess, was replaceable. Um, well, we'll see where but, they end up on the buyout market, I guess. Uh, and, and maybe they've got some, some inside yeah. knowledge about who's yeah, going to become who's, available. Who's dying to go to New Orleans? I mean, Bellinelli's going to Philly and Joe Johnson's going to Houston. I go, who's, 
was going down there to play with Rondo. Well, that's a quick <laughs> one to talk about, actually. Joe Johnson and uh, Brandon Wright going to Houston. There's uh, You talk about a team going deep. Gee, uh, D'Antoni, he might be able to play more than eight guys in the playoffs this year. I'm, uh, Brandon Knight, uh, Brandon Wright, I should say, that's not a massive one to me. I, the guy never seems to be healthy for more than a couple of games in a row. Nice play when he's up and about, but I, can, I, I think he's a, in case of something happens to Capella, uh, in case of hey, emergency, he's a good he's, ten, he's a he's a good tenth man. He's a he, he, that's what he's tenth man. Well, that's I prefer him over Joffrey Laverne on the Spurs, put it that way. So yeah, that's a nice yeah, move. He's all right. But Joe Johnson, that's a guy that can can actually move the needle for this team. That's a guy that can come in and get your buckets, as if they need another guy that can get them buckets. But um, he's a guy that if if you've got a mismatch as well, Joe Johnson can can take advantage of it still. I've watched him on Utah this year. He's still got a little bit of gas left in the tank, does, and loves playing the fourth quarter of the games, not afraid to take the big shot. And we've seen uh, one guy in particular not, not play all that well down the stretch uh, for Houston in the past. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing crunch time in some of those bigger games. The only the thing Rockets. with Joe Johnson, right, is he's... Um, so I agree, and I love his attitude, and he's a, he's a warrior and good teammate and all that sort of stuff, right? Um is and I do like I guess maybe he got some post stuff and some little pull up game, but he has completely. Pardon me, that's the that's the pirate life coming back. <laughs> Herb, that tastes good. The second time up, laddie, um, he has completely lost his ability to shoot the three pointer. So I don't know if that's legs or age or menopause. Yeah. That's a good point. Just, that, that, how will can't. they use him? How will D'Antoni mm. use him? Because he's not a, he's an anti-D'Antoni player in many respects. So that's actually a really good point. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they use him. Yeah. Um, but they yeah. are but shooting for, more mid-range shots. They're, they're not totally allergic to them this year. Like did I just look, you know, in 15-16, he was 38%. 16-17, you know, 41%, right? So he had a couple of really good seasons back in 13-14, 40% for the year. So he was not a three-point shooter early in his career. And, you know, sort of the last, last half of it, he's really turned it on. But this year, 27%. On low volume, though, granted, he's only played 30 games and his minutes are down to like 20 minutes a game. But he's, I don't know what that is. So that's just the only thing where I go, yeah, if he's a, you know, maybe he's that 10, 15 minute game a guy, per game guy. But look, uh, bottom line, this team's looking to win an NBA championship. I think that sort of player, that sort of attitude, perfect. So forget the nitpicking there. The perfect sort of attitude for uh, for that locker room. Obviously, a guy who's choosing to be there. They want him. I, I just love I love little plays like that. I, I do. That's a nice nice pickup. Well, what about Alfred Payton to the Phoenix Suns for a second round pick? Um, did you like that move for the Suns? Well, yep, fine for the Suns. You know, having Brandon Knight blew his ACL, they traded Eric Bledsoe after what ten, eight games, seven games, whatever it was. Got rid of him, um, started putting the ball in Booker's hands. Um, Tyler Eulis has been starting, and he's he's a third point guard, right? He's a decent third point guard, but he he is the he got easily the worst starting point guard in the NBA while he was starting. And John Gray, or I don't know <laughs> who, I don't know. Well, uh, I watched so, some of Phoenix against San Antonio. 
So uh, last week. Yeah. And oh my, they're not even a G League. Fucking team. idiots! I know they're idiots. It was uh, it was so bad. I mean, the the Spurs looked legitimately bored. Uh, I think Zach Lowe actually Hello. tweeted that. Yeah. He said, the Spurs <laughs> look legit bored how easy it is to get buckets. They won the game by 48 points and never, never got out of it. It was, it was uh, I think it was 18-0 or something before Phoenix even got on the board. It was re- it was so stark that it was between the two teams. And I thought, I would have loved to have been watching it with you and we could have paused it and we could have got the... Oh, that would have been a blast. And as my second favourite team does. The irony is, like, thank God they're so dreadful. Like, they just become a target of all fucking memes and ridicule. Well, the, t- so the look, crowd hey, don't even boo them. Like, I was expecting the crowd to boo oh, them. The crowd were laughing at them. They were they were openly mocking them. That's a good, that's a that's a basketball, like, they know their basketball, right? You know, they had Nash and Barkley and, right? And uh, they know basketball, so they, they're a crowd not silly. Um, look, yay, Alfred Prayton. He can average 13-5 and six turnovers a game in Phoenix, and that's fine. And take up some minutes, and who knows? Maybe he'll be a decent, you know, sort of rotation player. And he's only, he's actually only 23 years old still, isn't he? 23, yeah. 24? Yeah. Yep. So, yep, good for them. The bigger, right? The other side, it's the other side, right? And we go John Hammond Weltman their first year. <laughs> it's like this lottery pick who's shown flashes, um, and he's going to be restricted. We just we would rather have him off the roster than even be threatened to match any offer because that second round pick is that's a second rounder. But a lottery pick having a decent season for his career, that's how badly they must you know value Alfred. They just want him off the roster, and they're going to go in a different direction. So again, I tend to sort of look at the well, it's Philadelphia with MCW. Or, you know, this one here with, with Alfred, the team who's had the guy in their locker room and in their training facility and their practice facility for the last four years probably has a lot of intel about a guy. And when you dump a player like that for almost nothing, you know, maybe we'll see the, the skeletons that are in the closet will come out in Phoenix. If so, then boy, oh boy, get everyone, get your popcorn and watch this, watch this circus unfold. But, um. Uh, so I don't mean to make too much of a jest of it, but that's kind of what this is. Orlando saying, get out of here. Don't let the door hit you on the backside and Phoenix kind of getting a guy on the cheap. So. Well, maybe they were worried he was going to do his usual and have a good uh, post-All-Star mm. break into the season and win him a few more games. So Fair point. He went crazy the last 15 games of last year, didn't he? He just... He lit yeah. it up in fantasy. Look, anyway, I think so. what you're going to see in Orlando, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fournier gets shut down with some sort of fake injury. They're just going to give the ball to Jonathan Simmons and say, Jonathan put up 25 shots a game, and uh, Simmons is probably going to continue to shoot around 30%. percent And oh, uh, bless him. I know. He had a great game against the Cavs, Simmons, but gee, they're asking him to do a little bit too much um, than what he's capable of at the moment. But I think you're going to see more of that as the season goes on, and uh, they'll try and set themselves up for yet another high draft pick 
uh, and hope yeah. that um, they can finally land the franchise player that they've been searching for. So uh, let's move on. Daz. The last thing I want to do tonight is talk, uh, just look forward to the remaining schedule before the All-Star break. So a couple of interesting games. Um, tomorrow, the Spurs at the Jazz. Uh, the Spurs start on their radio road trip. They're one-on-one. Um, you know, tough win, as I said, over Phoenix in Phoenix to start it off. And then uh, a pretty fun game for most of the part against the Warriors. The Warriors end up getting away from Clay Thompson caught fire in the third quarter and got away from the Spurs there. Um, Spurs at Utah, though, tomorrow. Utah on a nine-game win streak. This is going to be a really interesting game. One of those wins in San Antonio. Uh, Ricky Rubio out for the Jazz at the moment. Not sure if he'll play tomorrow. Um given that it was a, it's a second game of a back-to-back, I'm, I'm actually hoping not. He put up 34 points against the Spurs last time. So that yeah. should be a fun game. Any other games, though, that, that, that sort of caught your eye for the remaining week? Not sure if you've got the schedule in front of you there. Yeah, well, just, you know, I, I'm, I really want to see. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but I'm going to try to watch uh, Cleveland OKC. Yep. You know, just sort of see the fun, the funness of, of what's going on there in Cleveland and see if, you know, OKC can can match it, and then on the same day, you just never know what Minnesota team you get. But Houston at Minnesota on the same day, oh, I think Houston could put up 170 points in that game. Yeah, they they likely if, if Minnesota just up are not playing. They they lost to the Bulls does on the weekend. They are not playing defense again. Like just they're not back, even, they're back to they sleepwalking. Yeah, they don't they don't really care. I mean that last that, play on LeBron is I, is inexcusable. As I've ever seen, it makes me wonder: Is Tibbs just overrated as a coach? I was going to say that's coaching. That is that is a hundred percent coaching, isn't it? That's what I saw. That wasn't players losing their way. So, the, if those of you haven't, um, those of you in Tokyo who who didn't see the replay on the last play, one second left in the game, and this wasn't a side out possession in the front court. This was in the back court, mm. right? So Cleveland, it was a tie game, right? It was one thirty eight all. Yeah, yes. it was 130. So it's going to go to double overtime, overtime right? Yep. One second. And what happens is Cleveland goes and I guess sends decoys into the into the backcourt. There's one second left on the clock into the backcourt. And what happens? The Minnesota defenders follow them. They like shadow them 90 <laughs> feet from the basket whilst da-da, the greatest player in NBA history is down in the lane near the basket, guess what? LeBron shakes free, catches the easiest 40-foot pass of his life, and basically just shoots a turnaround jumper uncontested from 17 feet, and the game is over. And you're just going, Minnesota had a defender on the inbounder. That's what I was going to say. Why have a defender? Why wouldn't you just say, look, double team LeBron. Someone else is going to be this. Don't defend the inbound pass. Go stand at the three-point line. Just go. Don't let anyone. Don't let like anyone play shoot. free safety. Yeah, play free yeah. safety. So yeah, so anyway, I'm... horrible. So yeah, the low IQ is back in Minnesota. That was that was a shocker. So yeah, I want to see Cleveland OKC and Houston Minnesota, and you guys. Your you, your second night of a back to back. What do you call it? The rodeo road trip? Where you go to Utah and Denver? Yeah, so they shut down the the, the arena for the big uh, San Antonio rodeo every year. So the Spurs have a long road trip uh, yeah, in between the All Star right? break, etc. So, uh, okay, okay. and so Pop will be resting players, you know, that between one game to the other. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what what lineups he throws out there and what game he chooses. 
to rest guys. Maybe not Aldridge hasn't been one he's rested, but certainly Gasol and, and Ginobili, etc. They're guys yeah. that he will genuinely yeah. rest. In one and then of those kind games. of I, I, what I like is you know again like the um, the uncommon opponent, sort of the East versus West matchup. A bit of a fun one for me will be the the last game before. Um, the very last game before the All-Star break is the, um, there's only two games at night. It's uh, Nuggets at Bucks, which should be a bit of fun. And there's also Lakers at Minnesota. There's only two games, then we take a long break for the All-Star break. But um, yeah, so that, that for me, Nuggets at Bucks should be really interesting. Two quite contrasting styles there. So um, that should be fun. So yeah, good good little ramp up here to the to the All-Star break. Yeah, Daz. All right. Well, we we'll leave it there, Daz, for this week. Uh, we'll see. We, we may be able to talk again. Uh, I guess and get some sort of temperature take on the season. Maybe touch on a few topics that we've wanted to talk about, but haven't with all the different news that's been going on uh, before the All Star break. I'm not at all interested in the All Star game. Poor old LeBron's team. Team LeBron. They're all uh, going to hiding at the moment. There's four guys that have had. Um, pretty serious injuries uh, and had to withdraw from Team LeBron. So uh, let's hope they all make it to the All-Star game at the very least. Um, I guess there's some interest in the dunk comp because uh, Donovan Mitchell continues to just light it up and some of the dunks he's pulling off in the games have to be seen to be believed. Another two magnificent dunks against the Hornets uh, on the weekend. So... Uh, but Daz, look, as I say, we'll leave it there. We'll, we'll see what where we end up uh, in the next few days before the All-Star break. Obviously, the buyout market, we're going to see what players get released and what sort of players uh, end yeah. up there uh, from some of the teams across feel- the league. I have a feeling that this could be a really good dunk contest. Oladipo, who's had an amazing season, right? Larry Nance Jr. now, who's a Cavalier. Dennis Smith, who can jump out of the gym. Little Dennis Smith and then Mitchell. So you've got... Oladipo, Dennis Smith, and Donovan Mitchell, like those are six five sort of guys who can just jump out of the gym. Then big power dunker Larry Nance. That actually could be a really good. That could be a good fun. So I'm I'm still a bit of a romantic with uh, the dunk contest and the three point contest. Where look, not every dunk is a is a fifty, but. Um, I think we're going to see something fun coming out of that. So, well, I think the Aaron um, Gordon, Zach Levine, uh, dunk oh, contest, and just quickly on Zach amazing. Levine. He's talking yeah. about guys are looking good come back from injury. He smoked uh, the Wolves over the weekend. He's looking good. I saw I saw the condensed in the highlights, and he's and he's got he's springy, so he's got his that three point shot, and he's kind of he's really elevating nicely. So yeah, so early signs are good for Zach. Well, on, on, tell you what, tell you what impressed me more than anything. Hmm. He he wanted to defend Jimmy Butler. Like, he, he wants <laughs> yeah, to be the leader on that team. He's got a chip on his shoulder, Daz, and he and he played like it. I'll tell you what, if I'm a Bulls fan... What a game. I, I was very happy to see. And, I, and I'll, I'd be pretty excited, actually, of what I've seen from the team after after the very depressing off-season. Uh, you'd be pretty excited from some of the things that you've seen from the team. That's a good year. point. I'm actually go back. I might watch that game because I, I, I've read about it, but I didn't actually watch it. So those of you who didn't see it, was that the Bulls beat the Timberwolves 114-113 in a fantastic game. So Minnesota built a huge lead in the first half, blew them out in the second, and then Bulls raged back in the third to race it, and then a, just a just a battle in the fourth, you know, Levine versus Butler. So Butler was doing Butler stuff, you know, getting to the line and just creating chaos with his, you know, with his chiseled frame, and then Levine is just kind of going after it as well. So it was just, 
Oh, just it was great. Yeah, I, I remember reading about it. And I actually want to go back and. Well, watch they it. actually went one on one against each other for multiple possessions, and in the yeah. end, uh, well, Butler sort of passed off the last one, and and Carl uh, Anthony Towns took a took a three. That was the the last shot, which, uh, yeah, again, low IQ basketball from the Wolves. Yeah, but still, but efficient. You know, Levine got twenty six shots off, took eleven free throws. Right, so he got the ball in his hand and only made only committed one turnover and 35 points right on 26 shots similar with with butler right 26 shot attempts you know 15 free throws dished out five assists had four steals only again only one turnover so they were also very effective you know some of those games like we saw of isaiah today you know nice sort of efficient stat line but had six fucking turnovers where he's just kind of botching you know every third play and like literally giving the ball up these guys were going at it right and they were they were effective well, it made me so, wonder just what what is uh, Zach Levine's ceiling because it, after a game like that, and I know he's ha- he had games like that in Minnesota as well. But I'm going to be excited to see how he goes being featured uh, with the Chicago Bulls for the rest of the season. Hey, um, four games back, twenty three, twenty one, twenty seven, thirty five. You know, that's mm. look. There's not a murderer's row of defenders with. Um, with Portland Clippers, yeah, but Jimmy Kings. Butler was on him one on one. Jimmy Butler one on one defender is is a good yeah, defender true. That's at true. least, uh, That's and he was still able to do whatever he wanted at, at times in that game. So, uh, as I say, good signs. Good signs, yeah. Good reminder, and uh, that actually might be worth a, a, a look back. But um, yeah, but yeah. So the, the craziness has settled down. We'll see if the. We'll see if Marco Bellinelli can help the Sixers. We'll see if the Cavs can integrate all these pieces. And, yeah, let's watch some dunks, I think, over the over the weekend. Yep. All right, Daz. Good to talk to you again, mate. We'll, we'll talk soon. See you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye. 